Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Thank you very much. Thank you. Put your hands together for Omar Khan in the house. Put your hands together. Woo-hoo. Put your hands together also for Melissa Lansman. All of a sudden, I feel like I'm at solid gold. Uh, both with, uh, I just, both with Hill and Knowlton. One's a conservative, one is a liberal. It's just easier doing it that way. There you go. No? All right. Why were we clapping? Well, because this is what's happening at press conferences pretty much every time uh, Doug Ford or one of the ministers makes an announcement. This is what (laughs) reporters are hushed with. (laughs) All right. That's annoying. And uh, it's becoming annoying, Melissa, to the reporters. And, you know, I, I've been a reporter a long time. I've done many of these. Why are they doing this? I've been a, I've been a decom on, uh, on, on the other side. <laughs> What's the strategy here other so, than to annoy the media? <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think there's a time and place for this. That time and place uh, is a campaign. I think mm. it's absolutely okay in a campaign, in a partisan environment. Uh, there's a neat little trick when you're a decom, and it's called calling last question. Um, all you do is you stand there and you say, last question. Uh, Ministers got to go to yeah, a meeting. The last question's go, yeah. asked and uh, <laughs> you can walk away calling. and you can go and do the thing that you were going to do to begin with. So I'm not sure on the strategy of the clapping. I think it's a bit uh, a needless poke in the eye. Well, when you piss a guy like Steve Pakin off, who I like, I don't even think that guy breaks a sweat. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to cheese him off. But when he's saying, all right, enough. But not even just that. You know, I spent 12 years working at Queen's Park as a staffer. That's why you're uh, so gray. Well, and, and these guys are, these guys are, they're busy people. Yeah. And they have very important jobs. And to take an hour out of your day to go be, a, you know, a trained like SEAL or whatever, you know, I just think it's insulting to whoever asked them to do that. And I think the excuse they put out today was that, oh, no, they all volunteered on their own to show up randomly to this No one gets that excited about no. a policy announcement. Uh, somebody somebody <laughs> sent out a directive and said, get these guys there. Look, they, they have a lot of work to do. This government's got a heavy agenda. Um let them do their jobs. You know, both Mel and I have friends uh, in this administration. I would just say to those guys, guys, choose your battles. You're 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 ups- you're you're annoying the media for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> but more importantly, you know, as as a taxpayer, you're you're taking people who are paid to do the 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 people's work. Uh, and you're for making, the people. Not not only that. Yeah, from you're a, taking them away from that. From work. a comms perspective, we're actually talking about. The, the, the clapping yeah. and not the $25 million announcement exactly. yeah. that we heard exactly. about today. So you keep overplaying your hand when all we should be talking about is $25 million. That's a, that's a pretty good news announcement for the for the city of Toronto. Um, yeah, it's not a and, bad news announcement. And but, we're talking about clapping. You know, I can guarantee you the 6 o'clock news tonight all led with the clapping issue. Well, I, I don't know if they led with it, but it certainly it trumped story. it. And yeah. that's what, like, look, I... I kind of stayed out of it, seeing if maybe they're just kind of new to this and maybe getting their their feet wet. But I'm like, okay, guys, done. But they doubled down on it. So they I stopped know. it for one announcement and then they brought it back like times 10 for this one. I don't like I think it. there's a responsibility on the part of uh, staffers, particularly communication staffers, to keep uh, that relationship, to keep that line open uh, with media. And this, yeah. uh, this seems well, like look, a bit of a needless poke. It's four years. You're going to have enough to, like, there's a enough. A lot of clapping. That's a lot of clapping. And I remember when everyone lost their minds when Dalton, you know, put up the red, red well, velvet robe. Because he he he, he nudged <laughs> when he won. Yeah. So there, so it was because he, you know, a, 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 a very attr- young and attractive female staffer 
you know, got too close to him and he felt weirded out by it because, you know, Dalton. Is that the reason? Dalton was, yeah, that is the reason. <laughs> Did Dalton, he get the vapors? Is, Dalton was one of the biggest, like, you know, he's a very nice guy, but he was a bit of a square. A dork? Um, so he got all weirded out and he didn't want Terry to feel uncomfortable. So that's why he put, like, the, I don't know, the. Oh, he six really foot is a dork. It's not even yeah. like a thing. He's like yeah. a dork. Wow, really? It was, it was because of that. No. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Is that a microphone the I see in your you pants? <laughs> Okay, my bad. Let's talk a little bit about something else that happened at Queen's Park today, an announcement that uh, a human rights challenge has been launched uh, by a group of, of, I guess, kids under the age of 13. Um, And anyway, they're they're trying to get a a case into the Human Rights Tribunal, uh, you know, because they're upset that the sex curriculum, sex ed curriculum has been rolled back. I'll I'll let you start on this, uh, Melissa. I see. I see a lot of posturing, a lot of stunting on this because we all know that this is temporary. It's going to go back in place. Why don't they just wait? We we talked about this on the show before. Uh, the government promised to do this. Uh, it's not a surprise. The best thing uh, that they can do is to do this quickly, uh, to get the consultation done, and to get a curriculum that uh, that works with parents in in the schools. That's it. I know. Yeah, it's that it's simple. no different really than, you know, so yeah, it's a bit of a stunt. The tribunal's, pro- stunt. tribunal's probably going to throw it out, but it's no different than the government, you know, m- moving a constitutional challenge on, on the fed, on the feds, uh, uh, carbon pricing, uh, uh, scheme, right? Everybody knows every constitutional lawyer in the country knows that that will be thrown out. The attorney general knows that that will be thrown out. They did it. It's a good communications tool. Uh, there's no there's no real difference between these two these two pieces there. All right. So if Doug Ford could, should he get rid of the uh, Human Rights Tribunal? So I would say no. And here's why. I, wor- I worked for the Attorney General for four years. And yes, there are some nuisance cases. And yes, there's probably some? there's probably some, you know, questionable rulings. But, you know, if 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 one percent of the rulings are questionable, that's those are the ones that tend to get all the media attention. One of the things we did um, back in 2011, when uh, 2010 or 2011, when when Tim Hudak was running on a platform to get rid of the tribunal, is we actually sat down and went through all the cases. Um, I think you got you know, the short end of the stick there. Eh? Well, no, but it was very informative because I think you know 30 or 40 percent were due to like women being fired for for you know, getting pregnant, uh, or, or or you know uh, I I distinctly remember a case where um, a newcomer, so a new Canadian was fired because the people in the office didn't like the smell of the cooking or like the, <laughs> their lunch in the microwave, stuff like that. Yeah. So it actually does uh, serve a, a purpose. Uh, a lot of those substantive cases just don't get a lot of media attention. No, but when you do get a case, it's worth it. This thing to me has been so kind of watered down that I kind of, I just roll my eyes at yeah, it. Yeah, we can't let this turn into a kangaroo court. Well, no, uh, it is, it, it's the the frivolous it complaints uh, that uh, that you see going to the. Uh, but anyone can tribunal. complain about anything. Like I can well, sue, right. I can take Alex to court tomorrow because you know she. For whatever reason, it doesn't mean the judge is going to hear the case, right? Well, that's why you go the. But route sometimes of the they do. Sometimes they do, and it look. I could probably count on one hand the the number of cases that the tribunal has ruled on that I think is is ridiculous. But you know, we're, we're talking about a hundred hundreds of rulings a year, right? So right, but we're also talking about a publicity stunt um, with parents who are coming out with a lawsuit that is not going to go anywhere. I know, so but the get... government's doing the same thing. So how can you criticize? Well, these well, kids, no, they right? campaigned on it. So they campaigned on it. No one should be surprised by this. I disagree that they took... I don't think they should have taken the curriculum out while they do the consultation. However... No, no, but every, the court challenge is a publicity stunt. Of course Absolutely. it is. So, but so is this. 
from the so why why should the kids be judged differently than the attorney general? Well, I'm not of the judging. I'm, ju- I'm not judging the kids. I think the kids are, are becoming pawns in this whole thing. I mean, the, you've got a bunch yeah. of parents out there screaming sure. mad. They're in imminent danger. Where's the outrage over math scores? Like, no. Yeah, Look, we've t- we've talked about the the curriculum. I agree with you. Uh, there's probably a better way than uh, than pulling a curriculum, teaching something from uh, from '98. But again, uh, quick consultation. Get it done. Get it in the schools. End of story. Ontario Generation uh, Power Generation. They bought uh, Eagle Creek Renewable Energy for three hundred and eighty-eight million dollars. This was uh, announced today. This is a New Jersey-based company. Should we? You know, I don't see any problem with buying a foreign power company if it makes money for the company, because inevitably it will help. The taxpayers' that, that money has to be passed on to uh, taxpayer savings. Absolutely, like they have, uh, we have a responsibility in this province to get rates lower. But if we're buying companies to meet some lofty climate targets, uh, then that's probably not a good reason to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're actually that's not why save, they're doing it, though, or if we're actually saving the ratepayers some money. Um, Go yeah, the only thing that caught my eye was the renewable. I mean, if we're going to yeah, go down that road but look, again. This is a private sector company. Conservatives love to rave about the private sector being more efficient than government. So this is a privatized company. It's private sector. And they made a business decision. We should let them run their business. Yeah, I tend it's to. It's not agree. raving about the private sector. It's it's raving about the fact that we are wholly uncompetitive here. No, no, but I mean, you know, conservatives generally like to you know support the private sector. So this is a you know, private do, sector company making a business is, decision. It is, but it's not. <clears throat> I mean, we're still a very big shareholder in this company. So if they're going to invest in stuff, it has it has to it make, has to make sense. sense. Yeah, agree. We just fought an election on it. We just fought an election on a very yeah. emotional issue, uh, and that was hydro. Yeah. I hear you. All right. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, you know, impaired driving on pot. I I didn't know that. Well, yeah, I shouldn't be surprised at this. number of people are smoking and driving and doing whatever. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the announcement today of whether or not this is effective. That coming up here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Let's talk a little bit about um, is there a way to create stronger penalties for impaired driving? There's an issue, I guess, with StatsCan coming out with a survey. 14% of Canadians have driven under the influence of pot. We know that this is an issue going into the legalization. We know that this yeah. is an issue. They don't have the technology. And now the stats are saying that people are doing it. Yeah, so full disclosure, Mel and I both uh, work with some companies in the cannabis space. So just to put that out there for the listeners. Who doesn't work in cannabis, by the way? Very few uh, uh, public relations and lobbying people. (laughs) Um, But, you know, what I I will say is, to me, this is more about education. So, you know, like we saw through the 50s, 60s and 70s, um, for many people, it was socially acceptable to drink and drive. Oh, yeah. And we saw, you know, a big increase in education campaigns in the 80s and 90s. Uh, And now, you know, very few people think it's okay to drink and drive. Uh, So I think, you know, cannabis legalization is a relatively new concept in this country. Uh, I think we're going to have to have the legalization accompanied by uh, some robust public education campaigns. And I think with time, we're going to see a similar um, trend as we've seen with alcohol in that most people will realize that it's not socially acceptable to uh, to 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 drive a vehicle after having partaken in in some cannabis. Yeah, this one's an uncharted territory for uh, for the government and uh, in Ontario specifically. If we're going to 
talk about liberalization, which is, it sounds like that's the direction that uh, they're going in. Um, and and certainly on October seventeenth, when uh, when the stuff my birthday, legal. by the way. Oh well, it's going to be a really happy birthday for you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming to Alex's house. Uh, bring so me the Cheetos. I think there's uh, I think there's, a, there's an issue that the the, the government has to uh, deal with, and they have to you know be able to uh, to meet the the demand and 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 the fact that the stuff is legal on uh, on the seventeenth. But they also have a responsibility to protect. Do you think there'll be any grace period? Like, if we start hearing stories, you know, like we saw with the TTC impaired, you know, the, yeah. this, the testing, where we started to hear cases of, okay, and people were outraged, like, how can we have people, you know, driving people around and putting them in, in jeopardy? But will there be a grace period if people start getting busted with this? Well, what, what does that mean? Um, you know, are we, are we not on a zero tolerance? Or are we treating it differently? And the and Federal that, Cannabis Act stipulates a zero tolerance policy. I, right? I, I think, I mean, at large, because I think the public are going to be you know, looking at the Trudeau government saying, well, you didn't plan for this. You got the policy passed, but now the danger part is coming in because now it's here and, and we got people driving under the influence. Yeah. Well, look, I think, you know, uh, I don't think there should be a grace period. The, the, I, I'm a big believer in the law is the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think most reasonable, reasonable people understand that if you're impaired on anything, whether it's alcohol or even prescription medications, you probably shouldn't get into a car. You shouldn't, yeah, it's but gotta, people do. It's got to be not cool to... Smoke and drive. Just but like you've got people cool like Jill, uh, Jill, uh, uh, Jody Emery. You know, you've, she's a really big advocate for pot. Obviously, yeah. she's made a life out of it, and she believes. And so does her husband. They've got a lot of influence, but they believe that it's not an issue that you so, should be so, able to so, drive. So, so, so the the counter argument, particularly from advocates uh, for uh, medicinal cannabis, mm-hmm. uh, is that those who use it as medicine on a regular basis, their bodies get desensitized to the effects. Right. So you shouldn't be penalizing them. Um, you know, I use the approach of, from, from a public health perspective of uh, take the precautionary principle, mm-hmm. which is let's take the approach that eliminates all, most risk as much as possible. So, yeah, you might be inconveniencing some medical users, but I think that's a, that's a reasonable enough um, risk to take, uh, you, know, you know, in order to protect everybody else. Government's got to look uh, outside, got to look to the private sector for the solutions uh, on this one. Uh, we've seen the the, the roadside uh, testing of saliva. Um, the government, uh, the federal government looked in uh, or is, has adopted uh, some technology on that. And uh, I think as this becomes sort of regular in society or, or normalized, uh, that we'll have uh, solutions to, to keep people safe. I guess we'll find out. You know, we'll find out. To be continued. Yeah, to be continued. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Bill Blair a little bit, shall we? Uh, Gun violence, obviously, in the news a lot. Canada's handgun laws, according to him, however, are effective. But he did say that the government will consider additional restrictions in in certain parts of the country um, to reduce the gun violence. But I don't know how he can say that, Omar, um, without actually making a lot of changes that would affect a lot of handgun owners in this country, who, by the way, are not the problem. Yeah, so, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, I'm just going to talk from a factual basis on this one today because I've... Uh, I, Opposed you know, to the BS no, every no, other no, day. No, I mean, uh, like my, 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 my ideological position, yeah, okay. I think, has been on the record several times yes. on this show. Um, so there are a certain proportion of, um, I think it's the estimate in Toronto is about 30%. Mm-hmm. Of gun-related homicides, where the gun—no, no, no, no—it's not that high. But anyway, we'll okay, there's a that. certain yeah. proportion, there's a, right? like fourteen percent. Okay, yeah, uh, where the where the gun related in the incident was stolen from a legal user, 
I would say uh, that any approach taken to this need to, to be fully effective, it has to be national. Uh, I think the idea of just a, ha- a ban in Toronto or even really in Ontario, like a province-wide ban, doesn't make a lot of sense because the, the, the guns will just flow in across the, 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 uh, the domestic borders. Uh, so whatever happens, it needs to be a holistic federal approach that respects the right of individuals, um, you know, who are law-abiding citizens, but at the same time realizes that, you know, some of these weapons, particularly handguns, when they get in the wrong hands, uh, can be used for um, criminal illegal activities such as homicide. Yeah, the problem is, Melissa, I hear a lot of co- conversations about handguns and legal handguns and what we're going to do and gun bans and all the rest of it. But what I don't hear is a conversation about anyone actually doing something about the smuggling part. And that is something that the federal and the provincial and, well, not the municipal, but they could do that right now by blocking off the borders where they know they're coming in. Yeah, look, I think we've talked about this on this show, illegal the handguns only talk about, yeah. uh, coming over, um, you know, well over the with illegal border crosses uh, yeah. maybe in illegal bags uh, <laughs> irregular irregular bags. illegal, uh, illegal. Uh, they're illegal they're um, the, the thing and is we've ref- talked about this on the show they're not refugees either sorry it's a uh, again it's it, this isn't a a policy issue uh, it's a policing one and i think there was a step taken uh, today to 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 fix that problem but it's in toronto specifically um, we don't have enough cops uh, we don't have uh, them in the right places. But we uh, have a bunch of politicians that keep using the same talking points for 20 years well, about hand bun This is all symbolic. No, it does so, nothing so, so, to so, stop the so game so violence. The, so the, the Liberal government in the, uh, in the early 2000s actually passed a law. I think it was the same law as, as, as that brought in the gun registry. I could be wrong. But uh, one of the provisions called for the mandatory marking uh, of handguns. And when the Harper government uh, got rid of the gun registry, they also got rid of that provision. Well, what would so, that provision do? Well, it means if a, if a, if any firearm entering the country uh, has to be marked, right? Uh, so, uh, so that it's an electronic marking that then allows uh, police forces to be able to trace the gun as it moves from place okay. to place. But, but and, and in the context of the hundreds of shootings in Toronto, like, those people aren't registering, nothing. and yeah, it, we don't and know that. that's what we, we do. Don't know that. Okay, maybe one or two, but. It just we don't wouldn't. Know that. Well, okay, but I've been doing that for a while. Like I've been on the streets and doing this, and and again, ninety five percent of the time, it is an illegal gun. Uh, it, demonizing uh, legal gun owners, not the way to go. Will this become a? a I don't care about really the municipal level, but will this become a federal issue? Do you think for Trudeau? I think there's bigger issues. I know there are bigger <laughs> issues, but there are certain issues that tend to, yeah. you know, get, get people talking. I know the. I, the it it look, depends the, on the NDP. So I think if the Liberals had their way. Uh, gun control wouldn't be a top tier issue, particularly because they want to hold some seats in in, in the western and Atlantic provinces. Uh, but but if the NDP numbers start to rise in urban centers, which that they're pretty low right now, but if they do, uh, that could propel the the Liberals to take a tougher stand on this. Um, but I think you know it's not something that they would you know like to be front and center for sure. And I think it's way. I think you picked up on something. It's a very regional discussion. Yeah, on, for sure uh, on guns. So it's uh, it's it's going to be weighing. Um, you know, how much of the, the West and how much of the Atlantic they're willing to lose. And not to mention, if we see the gun crime, if it, if it settles down and quiets down, the issue goes away. If we keep going with gun crime, which we've had a lull in the last little bit, but if it continues, I guess that's what gets the conversation yeah. going. Imagine it's pretty good fundraising fodder for the Conservatives. Yes, it will be. Yes, it will be. Indeed, it will be. I think actually everything at this point would be Omar good fodder for them. your money, too. Hey, you know what? Um, never say never. The biggest fundraiser for the liberals so far, the provincial liberals so far, has been uh, the sex ed decision. Yeah. Well, that'll be off the plate soon. All right. 
Thanks, guys. Omar Khan. Pleasure. Melissa Landsman joining me tonight. You're on point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.